Hi, Suspect listeners. Welcome back to episode 30. You guys, episode 30. We fucking made it. I never would have believed when I first started this podcast that I would even make 10 episodes, let alone 30. So, round of applause for everybody. My dog, she's clapping in the background too. Hey, Quiet on the set. Quiet on the set, girl. Yes, guys. So episode 30, I actually recorded another case for episode 30. Um, Last week, I watched The Bachelor. I was really fucking heated and hot, ready to talk about The Bachelor. I got on here. I talked about it. I recorded a short little episode. And then honestly, I was a little tipsy. I was kind of drinking while I was watching The Bachelor. So... I honestly have not even gone back and listened to what I recorded because I'm just sure it's a fucking hot mess. Um, I'm going to do that today, though. So if it's good, I will still upload it. If it's not, I'm going to re-record the case because the case is pretty good. Um, I'm just not really sure where I am mentally (laughs) throughout the entire fucking episode. So... Yeah, that'll be interesting to listen to, I guess. I kind of just recorded that episode and then got off and then it's been almost a week. Tomorrow will be a week since I recorded that and I just never touched it because I was kind of concerned. Um, I felt like I was going to be embarrassed just listening to it myself. So Um, I am having a truly right now. So if any pronunciation or stuttering happens in the episode, you guys know the rule. You know the damage. It's Monday, baby. We're getting lit. It's Thanksgiving week, guys. Thanksgiving week. We better be drunk every fucking day, okay? So I don't know. <clears throat> so I don't know what you guys have planned for Thanksgiving this year. I hope that you're having a Friendsgiving or spending time with your family or, you know, just spending time by yourself if that's what you want to do. I personally I'm not going out of town this year. You guys know since I've moved to Colorado that normally Um, I go out of town for the holidays. I just decided not to do that this year. I decided that it would be best to kind of just stay put for the holidays, at least Thanksgiving and Christmas this year. Um, I'll let you guys know about my birthday. That's up in the air. But Thanksgiving and Christmas, we're staying home this year. So yeah, I don't really have anything super crazy planned for Thanksgiving. I do have family in Colorado, so I'm sure that I will see them at some point, maybe during this week. Um... Honestly, I'm just kind of planning on cooking for myself. I've never done that. I feel like that's when you know that you've hit like adult world maybe is like, okay, I'm considering cooking for myself and my friends for Thanksgiving this year. I have to come up with a shopping list, all that kind of shit. So yeah, I don't know. Are you guys hosting your own Thanksgiving dinners this year? Are you going to someone else's? Like who's hosting? Let me know. Let me know what you guys are doing for Thanksgiving this year, what your plans are. Let me know what your favorite Thanksgiving dishes are. I mean, I'm sure everybody's is mac and cheese, right? And if you say it's not, you're a fucking liar. I don't care. It better be number one is mac and cheese. Um, definitely love mac and cheese. I I know this is probably like super Caucasian <laughs> to say, but green bean casserole. I don't care what anyone says about it. I will fucking die. I will die for some green bean casserole. I will defend that shit with my life until the day I fucking die And I've never made it myself, but I think I want to this year because I didn't get it last year. I was at a friend's for Thanksgiving last year and they didn't make it. 
Um, so I think I want to make it this year. So I'm definitely going to be texting my aunt and asking her for the recipe for that. So I will defend that shit with my life. Fight me in the fucking comments. I don't give a fuck. Fuck y'all. Green bean casserole for the win forever. What else? Mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes. For those of you who have been around me um, in any kind of dinner setting, you know that is like my favorite thing is potatoes. I could eat any variety of potatoes. I love them, but mashed potatoes, fucking OG. Love them. Could eat a whole plate of them. That might be my number one. Honestly, mashed potatoes for me is over mac and cheese, to be honest with you guys. I love potatoes. I fucking love potatoes. You guys cannot tell me that potatoes, they're just, they're perfect with everything. You could eat them with literally anything. So mashed potatoes, facts. Um, What else? Do you guys prefer turkey or ham? I'm a ham girl myself, to be honest with you. I just like, I know they say, oh, it depends on who cooks your turkey, whether it's dry or not. And yeah, that's definitely true. But I feel like it's always dry. It's always dry. Like, I don't care in any sense the turkey is too dry. I don't want that. I'll take a fried turkey over a baked turkey. But yeah, I prefer ham. Ham is just so good. It's juicy. You've always got, you know, the flavor in there. It's it's perfect. You don't need to put anything on it. Some people put gravy on it. I do that sometimes. Sometimes I just do a nice little dip with gravy, you know, because you don't want to, like, smother the ham with gravy. That's too much. Love ham. I like corn. I'm just going to sit here and name all the foods I like. That's what today's episode is. We're not going to do a crime case. I'm just going to sit here and name all the foods that I like to eat. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But tell me, you guys. Ooh, fuck. But tell me what your guys' favorite thanksgiving dishes are what is something that you have to have on thanksgiving every year if grandma or mom or auntie or whoever doesn't cook it thanksgiving's not the same let me know tell me what it is i'm eager to know i know everybody has a different one so i named my few that i need to have um to make thanksgiving thanksgiving so yeah i'm excited to see what you guys answer and what your favorite dishes are um, send me some pictures of your Thanksgiving plates. I honestly like looking at them. Is that weird? You know how people like always on Snapchat and Instagram, like every year they always post a picture of like their fucking Thanksgiving plate. Like once they get their first serving or finally sit down for the first time after people have been cooking all day, you're supposed to eat at two. It's fucking five. It never goes the way it's supposed to, right? You always eat like three hours later than you're supposed to. But I like looking at people's Thanksgiving food plates. I don't know. I think it's good. Everybody makes different stuff. And then, like, everybody's from different cultures, so you get, like, different foods. I don't know. It's cool. I think I'm nerd. I don't know. This is the kind of stuff that you look forward to when you're almost 25 years old is seeing what people are eating for Thanksgiving. I'm fucking mortified. <laughs> I'm mortified. Okay, so before we jump into the case today, which is actually – kind of crazy. I'll give you guys the little deets on that when we get to it. But before we jump into the case today, there are a couple of current events, things that have happened within the last week or two that I want to discuss with you guys, kind of get your feedback on, just kind of notify you of if you haven't seen it on social media. Um, so we're going to be starting with Aurora, Colorado is to pay $15 million to Elijah McLean's family to settle the lawsuit over the 2019 death at the hand of police. 
I saw this on Instagram the other day and I immediately had to stop what I was doing and just fucking go find all the information that I could find on this because if you live in Colorado, I'm sure this is a case that you've been following. If you're just paying attention to any of the racial injustices that happen in our community, in our system, in the fucking America on a weekly basis, then you definitely have been following this case. So I want to make sure that you guys know this information, that you're keeping up. Um, I don't, it sucks, right? Because $15 million, that's great. Like, it's great that they're they're settling this lawsuit, right? Like, this family absolutely deserves something for this awful, awful thing that the fucking Aurora police put their family through. But on the other hand, it's like, no amount of money brings your son back to you. So it's like, I don't know. I, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. So the information that I'm going to be giving you guys today is going to be from a CNN article. Um, you can find this. It was posted on November 19th. Okay, so the settlement was first announced in October, but was finalized after a mediation hearing with the McLean's family members in the U.S. District Court on Friday. The multi-million dollar payout is the latest in a series of high-profile police misconduct settlements in which cities have paid millions of dollars to surviving family members. So just running through some of the most recent settlements that police have had to pay out on, of course, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, everybody has heard of the George Floyd case. His family received a $27 million settlement in Louisville, Kentucky, the family of Breonna Taylor, uh, the woman who was shot dead in a police raid received a $12 million payment. No amount of money can change what happened or erase the pain and heartbreak experienced by the family over his loss, Aurora City Manager Jim Twombly said in a statement issued to CNN. The settlement is an important step in moving forward with the city's new way plan to restore the community's trust and public safety while avoiding while avoiding a protracted legal process that does not serve the best interest of the city or the family. Aurora will pay $5 million of the settlement out of the city's general fund, while the $10 other million will be covered by the city's excess liability insurance policy. The Aurora City Council approved the $15 million at a meeting in July. So for those of you who have not been following this case, in August of 2019, Elijah McLean, who was 23 at the time, was stopped by police while he was walking home from a store. He was placed in a chokehold and then injected with ketamine. His mother, Shanine McLean, filed a federal lawsuit in 2020 against the city of Aurora and the police officers and the fire department members that were involved in her son's death. Last month, her attorneys announced the case had been settled in principle, resolving all claims in the federal, resolving all claims in the federal civil rights case. Attorneys for Shanine McLean confirmed the $15 million figure to CNN and issued a statement. No amount of money will ever bring Elijah back to his mother. Miss McLean would return every cent just for one more day with her son. There will be an allocation hearing in the near future to determine the, the distribution of the settlement between Miss McLean, who raised Elijah as a single parent, and the biological father. Hopefully this sends a message to police everywhere that there are consequences for their actions, Lowane Mosley, who is Elijah's father, said in a statement. 
I hope Elijah's legacy is that police will think twice before killing another innocent person. So in September is when Colorado grand jury indicted the three police officers and two fire department paramedics that were involved in McLean's death. Each were indicted on charges of manslaughter and criminally negligent, negligent homicide as part of a 32-count indictment. I just had to retake that like five times because I could not say that word. I know the word and I just could not say it. Pronunciation is a bitch. <laughs> The Colorado Attorney General's office launched a 14-month investigation into the Aurora Police and Fire Departments. The investigation found the police department had a pattern of practicing racially biased policing and excessive force and had failed to record legally required information when interacting with the community. Earlier this week, the city and state of Colorado reached an agreement on the terms of a consent decree to resolve Aurora Police Department and Aurora Fire Rescue issues identified in a September Patterns and Practices report. The consent decree covers four areas identified in the Attorney General's report. Racially biased policing, use of force, documentation of stops, and ketamine and other chemical restraints. So this article, like I said, you guys can find on CNN. I thought all of this information was just crazy. I mean, I've been following this case basically since it happened. So, I mean, I'm glad that, you know, the family was able to reach a settlement or at least receive something for their loss. But, you know, like Elijah McClain's mother said, Shanine, she would return every penny just to have another day with her son. So it just it sucks. It sucks. It really sucks. I am happy to see that they did. The attorney general's office did establish some different decrees. Hopefully that will maybe I don't know. It's so hard to be hopeful, right? When you're talking about like these things like, oh, well, they're establishing like these decrees and these laws and these new training programs and we're going to teach them how to use policing and use the force better. Like you really want to believe it, but I, I don't know. It's hard. Like you read it and you're hopeful, but then you're not hopeful. So I don't know. We'll definitely keep an eye on that and see see what comes out of that but yeah again that is on cnn the article um the article aurora colorado to pay 15 million dollars to elijah mcclain's family to settle lawsuit over 2019 death at hand of police go find that read some more information if you guys have any more information on this or the settlement or the lawsuit please send that over to me so i can get that up for our listeners Okay, last thing before we jump into today's episode. Did you guys catch Taylor Swift's new album? Isn't it so crazy? So, like, if you're in my age range, like, Taylor Swift has been around, like, for a minute, right? Since we were, like, young little teenage girls. So, I remember listening to her songs and just thinking, like, the boy I liked in seventh grade. Like, yes, like these fit all of him. The boy I talked to three times in seventh grade, these fit all of him perfectly, right? Haha. <laughs> and now you're 24 and you've been in relationships or you've had like dating experiences or whatever the case is. And it's like crazy to like listen to like her remake all these songs that you've been listening to for a decade and you like actually relate to them now. You're like, damn, Taylor, like, fuck. 
you belong with me all too well like all of it I don't know so I just really have been enjoying both the new albums that she recreated um from her old ones you guys will have to let me know what your favorite song is I guess off the two albums or even the most recent one that you like that she recreated I have been listening to them every day while I take a shower it's like a therapy session for me honestly I just get like Instead of, like, 13 Reasons Why, like, I'm just going down Taylor's new album type shit, you know? (laughs) Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to go ahead and jump into today's case. And it is fucking crazy. So here we go. Okay, guys, so the case that I have for you today, it's so crazy. I was listening to My Favorite Murder when I was, like, taking a bubble bath or some shit last week, and they were talking about the Chippendale strip clubs. And if you guys don't know who that is, if you're my age, you probably don't, or maybe you do. I don't know. But basically, that was, like, the first male strip club. I, I need to do the case to give you guys more information, but basically the first male strippers, first male strip club, whatever. So I'm listening to this case and, you know, they're talking about all the people that are connected or tied into it. And they mention this name and I just start spiraling basically over a name that they had mentioned. And anyway, because of this case I listened to, I stumbled across the Dorothy Stratton case. And for those of you don't, that don't know who that is, she was a Playboy playmate back in the 70s and 80s. Very, very just like gorgeous woman, blonde, beautiful, beautiful skin. Like, I don't know. Just you guys can look up pictures of her on Google. She's very, very pretty. And I'll post some up on the Instagram. But I came across her case. And... Maybe some of you have heard of this. Maybe you hadn't. I had no idea that a Playboy playmate had ever been, like, murdered or, like, died under um, suspicious circumstances. But there's been multiple of them. But this is the one that was specifically murdered. And I was spiraling over this and just started taking notes and thought you guys might want to hear it. So... We're going to go ahead and jump right into it. So I might, like I said, guys, I'm not good at pronunciation. I feel like I say that every episode, but some of these last names, especially like, you know, when they're long or like foreign, I just might mispronounce them. And I'm so sorry. I'm trying my best to pronounce them the correct way. Sometimes I look up videos on how to pronounce the the fucking last name or like foreign word just because I want to sound like, you know educated um but if i fuck anything up i'm sorry ahead of time we're gonna jump into it though okay so dorothy ruth hoogstraten was born on february 28 1960 she's known professionally as dorothy stratton the canadian playboy playmate model and actress dorothy was the playboy playmate of the month for august 1979 and playmate of the year in 1980 Dorothy was born in Grace Maternity Hospital in Vancouver on February 28, 1960, to Simon and Nellie Hootstraten, who had been emigrated from the Netherlands. Which is like, woo, shout out February babies, okay? My Aquarius girls. Actually, I don't know if February 28th is Aquarius or not. I think it is. But anyway, February nonetheless. Love that. February ladies, we gotta stick together. February blondes. In 1961, Dorothy's brother, John Arthur, was born, and in, and in May 1968, her sister, Louise Stratton. 
1977, Dorothy was attending Centennial High School in the British Columbia. She was also working part-time at a local Dairy Queen where she meets 26-year-old Vancouver area club promoter Paul Snyder, who obviously begins dating her. She's young, she's pretty, he's a club promoter, he probably sees a lot of potential. He probably sees a lot of potential in her, right? So Paul Snyder later has a photographer take professional nude photos of Dorothy, which were sent to Playboy magazine in the summer of 1978. She was under the age of 19 at the time, which is the legal age of majority, which is basically in Canada, um, like the adulthood. So, you know, here it's 18, there it's 19. So she persuades her mother to sign the model release form. In August 1978, she moves to Los Angeles, where she was chosen as a finalist for the 25th anniversary Great Playmate Hunt. Paul joins her in October, and in June the following year, they get married. With her surname shortened to Stratton, she became Playboy's Miss August 1979. She began working as a Playboy bunny in the Century City, Los Angeles. Hugh Hefner had really high hopes that Dorothy could have meaningful crossover success as an actress and a Playboy bunny. So Dorothy's on several television shows that year, including Buck Rogers and Fantasy Island in 1979. Also in the same year, she had several small roles in films, such as Americathon, the roller disco comedy Skate Town USA, and a lead role in the film Autumn Born. So Hefner reportedly encouraged Dorothy to cut ties with Paul several times, calling him a hustler and a pimp. Roseanne Catton, who is September 1978 Playmate of the Month, and other friends warned Dorothy about Snyder's behavior. So in 1981, Dorothy is on film um, of a movie called They All Laughed, and she begins an affair with the director, and his name is Peter Bungatovich, and he's a well-known director and actor. I probably just slaughtered the fuck out of that last name. We're just going to call him Peter, okay? So she begins this affair with Peter in 1981 while they're on set for filming his movie. When Dorothy arrives at the Playboy Mansion for the 25th anniversary Playmate Hunt, she was pretty shy and naive. She was very uncomfortable with the casual nudity and sex. Several contemporary Playmates, including Pamela Bryant, Gail Stanton, and Marcy Hansen, become friends with Dorothy, and they basically protect her from some of Hugh Hefner's friends who they considered to be predators, and I'm sure they fucking were. So they basically had this little girl gang and they were like, no, 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 girl, you're with us. We'll protect you. We got you, girl. We got you, boo. You good, Dorothy. You good. On March 22nd, 1980, Dorothy flies to New York City to begin working on what became basically her last film project. They all laughed, which is the same set where she met Peter. This would be Dorothy's fifth movie in a career that had only begun the year before and represented her first substantial role in a big-budget picture, playing the unhappily married love interest of John Ritter, who was one of the film's stars. So Peter, like I mentioned, who was the director, he also wrote the screenplay. He later says in an interview that he had based the backstory of Dorothy's character on the, in the movie on what he had learned about her marriage to Paul. 
So Dorothy had spent about the first two, two and a half months of 1980 completing her Playmate of the Year shoot and making her previous movie, Galaxina, in Southern California. With all of her work pretty close to home, Paul just assumed the role of his wife's chauffeur, as well as her manager and her acting coach. The problem is that Paul's consistent presence, as well as his criticism and almost daily arguments with Dorothy, caused her so much stress that her co-workers at Playboy and on the set of Galaxina, they took notice of the tension in the marriage. So as the spring of 1980 approaches, Paul basically insisted, like, hey, I'm coming with you to New York while you finish your movie. But Dorothy, she's, you know, up on game at this point. She's like, nah, like, this man's going to cause hella fucking problems. If, he, if I let him come with me, like, fuck no. Plus, she's having an affair with the director. So she's like, no, 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 Paul. Like, you just need to, you just need to stay here. So she convinces Paul to stay in L.A. after explaining that the director had decided to close the set of his new film to all but the cast and the immediate crew. Dorothy and Peter continued their affair on the day after her arrival in New York, which is like, of course they did. Like, that was her plan. She was like, nah, 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 Paul, you stay here. I'm fucking with the other P now. Peter, Peter, Paul, Peter. (laughs) in april dorothy briefly returns to la to prepare for her upcoming introduction as the new playmate of the year and follow up on her publicity tour with several months of filming left to be completed in new york this was the last time that she would live with snyder in their la home on wednesday april 30th at a luncheon held on the grounds of hugh hefner's mansion Dorothy was presented to the Assembled Entertainment Press as the 1980 Playmate of the Year. In his introductory remarks, Hefner noted that Dorothy was from Canada and had received $200,000, which today would be today would be $671,332.52. So she receives that in cash and gifts in addition to the title. Hugh Hefner also acknowledges the effect that Dorothy's charming combination of beauty, intelligence, and sensitivity had on many who knew her. And he also said that she is something rather special. They always are, but Dorothy is really quite unique. So he was just basically infatuated with her, as you guys can see. Everybody who knew her or was around her really just thought that she was like, they, they say this in all the true crime cases, right? But they really thought Dorothy was different. They really thought she was, like, just this presence to be around. Like, you felt her when she walked into the room type shit. Like, I don't know. Pretty, popular, pretty nice girl vibes, you know? That's the kind of vibe that she was giving off. So after accepting the award, Dorothy thanks Mario Casilli, the photographer who shot both her Playmate of the Month and Year pictures, and several Playboy executives, and finally Hugh Hefner, who, she says, has probably made me the happiest girl in the world today. Later that same night, Dorothy appears as a guest on The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson. The next day, Dorothy was beginning a two-week promotional tour of Canada. Having no events basically scheduled on the first weekend, she decides, I'm going to go to new york and i'm gonna see my man peter so she does that she does exactly that 
Conflicted about her marriage now more than ever, Dorothy writes to her husband from Canada asking for more freedom in their relationship. I was just about to say, why did she write to him? But I forgot we're in the 80s. We're taking it back. I'm a Gen Z baby. I'm not used to that. <laughs> so Paul basically receives this letter from his wife and he immediately consents that he's losing control and fearing the worst. He telephones, he calls from Los Angeles. He calls from LA and he flies into a rage when Dorothy answers. The Canadian tour was arranged to end in her hometown of Vancouver so that Dorothy could relax for a few days with family before returning to work on They All Laughed, the movie set with Peter Boy. However, Paul, fucking Paul, appears in Vancouver at the last minute and he coerces her into spending some of her brief vacation making personal appearances at several local nightclubs. Since Paul knew many of the club owners, he personally negotiated and collected Dorothy's appearance fees and then pocketed the entire sum when she returned to Peter in New York City. So during this time in Vancouver, it's reported that Dorothy and Paul had a heated argument. At some point during the fight, Dorothy offers to give up her acting career and suggested that, you know, the couple just permanently returns back to Canada. However, Paul is like, nah, bitch, like we need this money. What the fuck are you talking about? He rebuffs his wife's attempt to save their marriage completely, essentially. In the days and weeks after Paul returns to L.A., he finds it increasingly difficult to get in touch with Dorothy. In late June, just a few weeks after their first wedding anniversary, Paul receives another letter from Dorothy. But this one was announcing, no, Paul, we fucking done. Like, we is done. That they, <laughs> This one was announcing that they were now physically and financially separated. So this is a problem for Paul, right? This is a problem for Paul because he's not from here. So Paul, Paul doesn't have his green card. Paul's not working. He's counting on Dorothy to take care of him essentially, right? So Paul, so Paul has several responses to the second letter that he received from Dorothy. He empties the couple's joint bank account. He has a brief affair with an old girlfriend. And now convinced that Dorothy was having an affair of her own with Peter, Paul hires a private invest Paul hires a private detective to gather evidence of his wife's infidelity. So he's just like spiraling at this point, right? Paul's like, "Oh my fucking god." Paul's like that TikTok song. What's that TikTok song? Um not song, but sound. This bitch, that's Paul. <laughs> this bitch. Oh, it's the Bruno Mars song, I think. <laughs> This bitch got me paying her. I don't know what it is. So as a foreign national living in the U.S. without a green card that would allow him to hold a job and having no other source of regular income, Paul, like I mentioned, relied on Dorothy now through her business manager to pay the monthly household bills. So little money was left over for really anything extra for Paul here. Um, you know, and by anything extra, I mean you know, expenses that might accumulate if you hire a private detective to work a case 3,000 miles away from you. It might be pretty expensive. So over the summer of 1980, Paul began selling Dorothy's Playmate of the Year prizes at a loss for quick cash. 
The most notable example being a Jaguar sports card that Playboy had valued at $26,000, which today would be $87,273. By mid-July, photography on the photography on They All Laughed, the set, was completed and the New York production wrapped. On Wednesday, July 30th, Dorothy and Peter returned to L.A. after spending 10 days together in England. Dorothy's official L.A. residence was now at the address of a newly rented Beverly Hills apartment, but in actuality, she had quietly moved into Peter's mansion in Bel Air. She's like, I don't want this motherfucker Paul to know where I am. This motherfucker. She probably knew his ass hired a private detective. My girl Dorothy was on it. She knew. She knew. On the night of July 31st, 1980, Paul, who was now aware that his wife was back in L.A. and was living with Peter, he hides among the shadows outside of Peter's estate carrying a borrowed, yes I said that, let me repeat that again, borrowed handgun intending to shoot anybody who appeared at the entrance to the property. After several hours of inactivity, Paul grows impatient and he decides to leave he drives up to the hills over the li- he drives up to the hills that overlooked the city and he later admits to a friend that he had thought of suicide at this time at around noon on friday august 8th dorothy and paul saw each other for the first time in nearly 3 months at paul and formerly formerly dorothy's house in west la So, of course, you know, at this point, Paul's, like, pretty confident that he could talk Dorothy into doing whatever he fucking says because he's already persuaded her to pose for a playboy. Then he persuades her to marry him. So he's like, I can do this. Like, I can convince her to do what I I want her to do. Paul's sadly mistaken here because his hopes of fixing anything are quickly shattered when Dorothy admits that she had fallen in love with Peter and that she wanted to finalize their separation. A rejected Snyder basically agrees, Snyder, a rejected Paul basically agrees that he's going to meet Dorothy one more time the following week to discuss a monetary settlement between them. Later that same afternoon, less than a week before Dorothy's murder, Paul returns the borrowed handgun to its owner. Over the next five days, he would become obsessed with getting another. And like, this is my question, right? Here's my problem If one of my friends come up to me and ask me to borrow my gun, no. I mean, it's also this is 2021 now. So we also know like a little more, I guess. But like, no, like what? What do you need that for? Go buy your own shit. No, that's how you get into some fucking trouble. Why would you let your friend borrow your gun? Like, I don't that's that's ignorant, right? Like this is registered to you. I don't know. (laughs) I just thought that was so dumb. Like when I was taking these notes, I've seen this a lot in like multiple cases where they're like, oh, he borrowed a gun from so-and-so. What the fuck? What are, I don't know. Maybe different time. That's what we're going to go with different time because nothing else is registering to me. I do not get that. (gasps) On August 9th, the day after his meeting with Dorothy, Paul and the private detective that he had hired go to a local gun store. After being told that the store couldn't sell him a firearm because of his Canadian citizenship, Paul asks the detective to buy a gun for him, and the man says no. Which is like, again, red fucking flag. Red fucking flag. You're taking the detective with you to go buy a fucking gun? 
And then not only that, but you're asking the detective to buy it for you. The detective... Sir, you're a detective. No red flags are going off? Like, oh my fucking god, I don't know. That's weird. Hey, let's go gun shopping together, buddy. I've had you stalking my ex-wife, and now all of a sudden I want to buy a fucking gun. Like, come on. What? So when Paul sees the private detective again the following day, he tried to convince the man to buy him a machine gun for home protection, as Paul explained it, but the detective basically talks Paul out of the idea. Which is like, yeah, sir, why do you need a machine gun for home protection? Who do you expect to come, Paul? Who do you expect? Hmm, the fucking CIA? Because they're still going to get you. <laughs> the next day, August 11th, Paul drives out into the San Fernando Valley to look up a gun that he had found for sale in a newspaper. He gets lost, however, and he eventually gives up and he just goes home before finding the owner's address. August 30th, two days later, 1980, marked the two-year anniversary of the day that Strat that Dorothy had first arrived in L.A. to begin her acting and modeling career. So same day, August 13th, 1980, which is the day before Dorothy was murdered, Paul bought a pot... Paul bought a used 12-gauge pump-action shotgun from a private seller that he had found in a local classified ad. Later that evening, in a conversation with friends, Paul is basically talking about that he, he purchased a gun that day, and he finishes his story by declaring that he was going to take up hunting. During the same conversation, barely more than 12 hours before the murder, Paul casually, you know, just so fucking casual this is so casual you guys he just casually brings up the subject of you know playboy playmates who had unexpectedly died just so casual you know nobody thinks anything about this he's married to one just bought a gun they're getting separated nobody's thinking here just so casual so fucking casual in particular, he spoke of Claudia Jennings, who was an actress and former playmate of the year who had been killed in a car accident just the year before. He made several morbid remarks to his companions related to the problems at Playboy magazine caused by Jennings' death, including a comment about how the editors including a comment about how the editors why am I saying that so country? including a comment about how the editors will pull nude photos of a dead playmate from the next issue if there's still time before it's been released. So the next day, on Thursday, August 14th, Dorothy arrives for her meeting with Paul at the West L.A. home at about noon. Dorothy had spent the morning talking with her business manager, and one of the topics that they had discussed was the amount of property settlement the playmate would offer Paul that afternoon. The police later found $1,100 in cash among Dorothy's belongings in the house, which she had apparently brought for Paul as a down payment, which today would be about $3,692. Towards the end of her morning meeting, Dorothy's business manager makes an observation. He says, hey, like, you could avoid spending any more fucking time with Paul. Like, let's not spend any more time with Paul. Let's not spend any more time with Paul. Let's just leave... The remaining logistics and negotiations to your divorce to your lawyer and Dorothy basically replies that the process would go easier if she dealt with Paul herself she explained that he was being really nice about everything and finally adding I'd like to remain his friend 
Paul's two roommates had left that morning, so when Dorothy comes over that afternoon, it's literally just her and Paul at the house. They're, you know, just her when she steps into the house. By all appearances, Dorothy had spent some time in the living room where her purse was found lying open before her and Paul decide to move into the bedroom. By about 8 o'clock that night, both of the roommates had returned to the house. They said that they saw Dorothy's car parked out front. They noticed that Paul's bedroom door was closed. And they kind of just assumed that the couple had, you know, worked things out and that they wanted their privacy. And they spent the next several hours just watching TV in the fucking living room. So Paul's private detective basically alerts the roommates and they enter the bedroom shortly about... They enter the bedroom shortly after 11 o'clock that night and they discover the bodies of Dorothy and Paul. Each had been killed by a single blast from Snyder's shotgun. Both bodies were completely nude. According to the police timeline, Paul had shot Dorothy that afternoon within an hour of her arrival at the house. Paul then committed suicide approximately about an hour after he murdered Dorothy. Sometime after midnight in the early morning of August 15th, the private detective had called the Playboy Mansion and told Hugh Hefner that Dorothy had been murdered. Hefner then called Peter. After collapsing at the news, Peter was sedated. Dorothy's mother was told about her daughter's death at her Vancouver home later that morning by an officer of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Dorothy's body was cremated and the remains were sent to Westwood Village Memorial Park Cemetery in L.A. In August 1981, just one year after Dorothy's death, her final film, the romantic comedy, They All Laughed, which was written and directed by Paul, had its U.S. release. After a disappointing limited run in a handful of theaters in the Southwest, the Upper Midwest, and the Northeast, the movie was quietly withdrawn. So Paul was really upset that this would be his only picture with Dorothy and that it basically didn't have the nationwide response that he wanted. And he was determined that her last screen performance would have a chance to be seen by a bigger audience. So Peter buys the theatrical rights to this picture. Out of his own pocket, he paid for a re-release of They All Laughed in nearly a dozen large markets across North America beginning in late 1981 and rolling into the following year. Despite generally favorable reviews and strong attendance in some theaters, Peter ultimately sank more than $5 million, his entire net worth at the time, into the Vanity Project to properly promote and distribute the movie and rescue Dorothy's film legacy. So yeah, that basically was a lot. So basically, he tries to re-release this picture. It doesn't work. He fucking tanks for $5 million, which is everything that he was worth. But he was willing to do that because he wanted people to see, like, how beautiful and brilliant, like, Dorothy was as, you know, an actress, a model, just as a woman. So it's so sad. Like, he, like, loses his love and then, like, tanks. Ugh. In 1985, Peter declares bankruptcy. In the process, he lost his L.A. home where Dorothy had lived for the last few weeks of her life. In August 1984, four years after Dorothy's murder, the publisher William Morrow released a book by Peter titled The Killing of the Unicorn, Dorothy Stratton, 1960-1980. 
The Killing of the Unicorn is by turns a biography of Dorothy, a memoir of Peter's affair with the married playmate who was half his age, and a feminist attack on Hugh Hefner. His playboy philosophy and his hedonistic sexual mores he celebrated in his magazine and practiced at his mansion and the entire playboy organization. By far, the most controversial part of the book is the director's claim that Hugh Hefner had sexually assaulted a then 18-year-old Dorothy Stratton in August 1978. According to Peter's allegation, the assault occurred while the two were alone in a secluded area of the Playboy Mansion at the end of Dorothy's first day of posing for the magazine's photographer. Peter chose to use the word seduce to describe Hugh Hefner's behavior in the book. However, he originally used the word rape in the drafts of his manuscript. Peter and the publisher made the change after being threatened with a lawsuit by Hefner's lawyers. So among the other allegations that Peter makes in this book, the most significant ones are, number one, that, that Dorothy did not marry Paul out of love, but rather used her marriage basically as an excuse to block Hugh Hefner's advances on her. Because even after the alleged assault, he still he still supposedly tried to pursue Dorothy as a sexual partner. Number two, that Dorothy had loathed nude modeling and dealing with Playboy in general and only tolerated the humiliating work in order to promote her acting career. And three, that Hugh Hefner was responsible in part for enabling Paul's killing rage when he was banned from entering the Playboy mansion just days before Dorothy's murder. And like I like I, I mean, like I mentioned, these are all allegations. But when you go and like look at the story, all of these allegations really do seem like something that Dory, not Dory, that Dorothy did share with Peter, like you know like privately like hey like this is like pillow talk like she really it seemed like they really did care about each other and loved each other so I do believe that this is information that she absolutely did share with him Peter's underlying assertion for the last charge is that Paul was banned because Hefner hated him in his defense Hefner explained that the purpose of the ban was to encourage Dorothy and Peter to appear at the mansion as a couple so nearly every review of the killing of the unicorn in the U.S. press was negative. While few objected to Peter's attacks on Hefner and Playboy, many were skeptical of his newfound feminism, pointing out, for example, that he seemed oblivious to his own sexism, to the whore Madonna complex. And for those of you that don't know what that is, it's the inability to maintain sexual arousal within within a committed loving relationship this psychological complex is said to develop in men who see women as either saintly madonnas or debased prostitutes men with this complex desire a sexual partner who has been degraded the whore while they cannot desire their respected partner the madonna in their view of women in an article that appeared shortly after the murder hugh hefner who was 33 years older than dorothy used the word friendship to describe his relationship with her and was said to see himself as a father figure to the playmate which is just fucking sick bro it's just fucking sick no hugh that's not it you fucking creep the image that hefner presented to the public as a supportive um blah, blah, blah. the image that hugh hefner presented to the public as a supportive paternal figure to dorothy was emphasized the following spring when Playboy published her biography 
in its May 1981 issue. It was reported that Hefner had personally supervised the the editing of the article, which is like, I'm sure he did. This motherfucker's not going to let nothing bad come out about him. Like he, anything that he can control or put his hands on, he's absolutely going to. So I'm sure this biography was written by him. We could even go as far as to say. In 1985, when asked about his relationship with Dorothy after the release of The Killing of the Unicorn, Hefner did concede to a crucial detail that lay at the heart of Peter's allegation. Hefner admits that several weeks after Dorothy had first arrived in L.A., the two had taken a nude bath in the jacuzzi on the Playboy Mansion grounds, the place where Peter claimed the sexual assault had occurred. That's what I'm saying. Peter had the details. Peter was coming with the fucking facts. Peter was. In the same interview, while allowing that they had hugged in the jacuzzi, Hefner denied having forced himself on Stratton. Hefner also denied, despite his reputation, that he'd ever so much as made a pass at the young girl, suggesting that his sexual interest in Dorothy had ended in the jacuzzi after learning that she had expect after learning that she expected to become engaged to her then boyfriend. This conversation occurs about two months before Hefner first meets Paul, they say. So Dorothy's murder was shown or reenacted in two films in the made-for-television Death of a Centerfold, the Dorothy Stratton story, 1981. Jamie Lee Curtis portrays Dorothy and Bruce White's plays Paul Snyder. Bob Foss's feature film, Star 80, which came out in 1983, starred Mariel Hemingway as Dorothy and Eric Roberts as Paul. In December 1988, at age 49, this is so weird to me, but maybe you just, I don't know. You guys let me know what you think about this. In December 1988, at age 49, Peter marries Dorothy's sister, Louise, who was 20 years old at the time. Peter paid for her private schooling, modeling classes following Dorothy's death. They divorced in 2001 after being married for 13 years. Bush's song Dead Meat is written in Dorothy's memory and Californication by the Red Hot Chili Peppers also makes reference to this entire case. So, and that is the fucking story of Dorothy Stratton, the Playboy playmate that was murdered by her fucking husband. Like, how insane is this, you guys? I literally could not... I'm pretty sure... I'm going to watch these movies. (laughs) That's how I am. I like read about a case and I need to watch it like reenacted, you know. But yeah, so I found, of course, information today citing from Wikipedia, of course, Murderpedia, some CNN article and some ABC articles referencing this information. So you guys can find all of this information and more in those articles. I kind of just read through them and tried to get a simple timeline. So You guys know me. If you have any additional information or facts that pertain to this case, you can send those over to me on the Instagram. I'd love to hear them. But yeah, isn't this fucking crazy? That poor girl, 20 years old, 20 years old, murdered by her fucking husband. And like I said, guys, she was gorgeous. You guys will have to look up some pictures of her, but just a gorgeous, gorgeous young girl. So sad. So yeah, that, wow, that was a lot. Um, 
like I said, for the next episode, I might upload the one that I told you guys about. I might not. If it sounds kind of crazy, I don't know. We'll see. But um, definitely for the next episode, um, we are going to be talking about um, some people that went missing on the Yamaka, Yakama Reserve. We're going to be talking about some people that went missing on the Yakima Reservation in Washington. It is November, so it is Native American Heritage Month. We want to make sure that we get some stories and cases in, um, make sure that we're paying attention to every culture. So I will, in the next episode, be spending some time discussing some missing people from that reservation. Um, Make sure you guys are tuned in for that. The next episode is definitely going to be a crazy case, too. It's it's kind of fucked up. I mean, not even kind of. All these are kind of fucked up, but the next one's especially fucked up. So make sure you guys are tuning in for that. I hope everybody listening has a great Thanksgiving. Um, I'll try to get an episode out for you guys by the end of this week so that you guys can have something to listen to, maybe while you're in your food comas, you know. I don't know what your families do when you're in your food comas. My family usually watches football, but they, they play the fucking Lions on Thanksgiving, bro. That's lame. They need to start playing, like, better teams on Thanksgiving. I am excited that they're playing the Bears this year because um, I do like Justin Fields. So that is a little bit better that the Bears actually have some people of notoriety on their team. But I don't give a fuck about the Lions. I don't give a fuck about the Lions. I'm sorry I don't. <coughs> they suck and they're bad. They suck. They suck. Anyways, thank you guys for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I tried to do a little bit of a longer one for you guys today to make up for, you know, kind of slacking. It's the holiday season. Cut me some break. Cut me some slack, I mean. Cut me some slack. Um, If you have any cases that you'd like to hear, you're welcome to send those over at Suspect Podcast on Instagram, suspectpodcast1 at gmail.com. Email me, shoot me a DM. I will definitely get back to you, definitely get to those cases. If you haven't already left a review on Apple Podcast, please take two seconds to go do that. It really helps push the podcast and helps grow the audience more than you guys probably realize. Um. Share this podcast with a friend. Share it to your Instagram story. Whatever, guys. Let's keep growing this audience. I'm excited. There's like 8,000 of you now. What the the literal fuck, bro? When I started this, there was like eight of you, and now there's like 8,000. Like, I have 8,000 friends, so you guys keep coming back. Um, I appreciate you. I really appreciate you. This whole podcast is just about educating and like being my authentic self, so I'm really glad that 8,000 of you keep coming back to listen to these fucking episodes. It's just the beginning i mean we're only a year and a half into the podcast so i'm really excited to see where we keep going with this different things that we can keep learning um i don't know i'm learning a lot while i do this i'm this changing my life a little bit so thank you guys for everyone who has been consistent who's shared who's left a review who's bought merch anything i definitely appreciate you and promise there's going to be some more content coming some more crazy shit coming and again if you have any fucking ideas i don't care what it is send it over to me so thank you guys so much like i said i hope everybody listening has a wonderful thanksgiving i hope that you have the best food that you have three fucking plates i don't know don't eat too much though you don't want to you don't want a sore tummy um anyway until next time thank you guys so much again i love you guys Enjoy Thanksgiving. 